Ed Robertson welcoming you to TV Confidential, radio talk show about television. Dolly Reed Martin will join us in our second hour. Dolly Reed Martin, widow of comedian Dick Martin of Rowan Martin's Laughing, and an actress most of you know for her starring role in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls and her many appearances on such classic TV game shows as the CBS Match Game and Tattletales. Dolly was also one of the first Playboy Bunnies from London, hired by Hugh Hefner to open the London Playboy Club back in 1966. We'll talk to her about that. Plus, Dolly will share a few other memories of her showbiz career when she joins us in our second hour. We hope you'll stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Phil Grice is with us, along with Steve Randisi, for the third and final edition of her tribute to the short-lived but critically acclaimed daytime talk show that Murph Griffin hosted for NBC in the early 1960s. Phil Grice, of course, founder and owner of Archival Television Audio, ATVAudio.com. Steve Randisi, author of The Merv Griffin Show, The Inside Story. We mentioned in one of our earlier segments one of the historic interviews that Merv did on the daytime show that he did for NBC uh, between October 1st, 62 and March 29, 63 was an interview with actor Montgomery Clift. Uh, It was one of two television interviews that Clift was known to have done, including the only interview that Clift did on a talk variety show. We have a five-minute clip that we're going to play right now in which Clift talks about... uh, At the time, he was discussing his movie Freud, which had just been released, and he also touches on a few other topics, including... Marilyn Monroe, Montgomery Clift, on the Merv Griffin Show, February 4th, 1963. One of our most distinguished actors is with us today. I guess I've seen every picture this man has made. Uh, Search, Place in the Sun, Judgment at Nuremberg, and recently, of course, Freud, which is one of the, received some of the most beautiful critical acclaim I've ever read in the papers. Speaking personally, he's never done a show like this before, and, uh, I'm delighted that he did this as a favor, and I'm proud to welcome Montgomery Clift. I know. You have met Nancy. Hello, yes. Don. Indeed. Frank. Nice to see you. Hello. Now, i got to tell you about all this thing called television, Marty. you got to move close to the microphone. What happens? What happens? Just uh, <laughs> relax and talk. You, you, you bend. <laughs> they tell me that. Marty, congratulations on Freud. My goodness sakes. Thank you. I think, shall I predict it now? Academy Award. Right. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> It's about time you get an Academy Award. Every year you make the best picture of the year. I'm going to start a great movement. Thank you, Murph. No, it's very exciting. Was it... Was was it... That's probably the biggest job you've had to tackle as far as a characterization of a human being. Ever, yes. You must have gotten quite involved in the man and the... Well, the whole thing, uh, the the nature of doing it, if you really want to know, of of doing it is uh, almost impossible. Because there's nothing working for you. You're not, you're doing a sort of, uh, well, I don't know what I'd call it, but a, like a mental western. 
<laughs> trying to, do you know what I mean? No, trying to keep the audience in a detective story. But it's all up here. Yes. It's not even like a biochemist. It's not even like Pasteur or something. You're just trying to find out what's the cause of... No, it's so involved. And he has to be almost as sick as the people he's talking to and trying to get information from in order to make it up. Well, he was the first man who psychoanalyzed himself. Now, you have to be pretty upset to get to that point. Yes. It presented and problem. I'm sure. Does it, it did. Playing a part as intensely as you do, and, and of, of this man, does that get involved in your private life? Or is that... Well, you don't have any private life when you're doing this thing. Ah. It's like being in prison. You just go to the studio, you get up at 5.30 in the morning, you get through studying at 2, you're four hours sleep, you're lucky if you... That's all. Yeah. I was in every scene but one. It's a strange thing, Mark. For half a year. To my way of thinking, you never do enough motion pictures. You just seem to do whatever you, uh, like most actors, will do uh, whatever good part comes along. Say, yeah, yeah, I'll take that one, I'll take this one. But you seem to lay back and wait a long time before you decide on doing a movie. No, no, no. Once I was out of work for two years because I didn't find anything I liked. And then, unfortunately, I found three I liked that were, I only had time to have bronchitis in between them. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I, I did all three, uh, one after another. One was eternity, one was I confess. I don't know if you'll want to answer this question or not, but I have never heard this discussed. The answer is no first. No, all right, well, then I'll go from here, and then you can still say no. But I've never dis heard this discussed by a distinguished and a recognized actor. Uh... And I know you made a motion picture with her, uh, Marilyn Monroe, and I have read that you were a friend of hers. As an actress, not as a woman, as an actress, what kind of an actress was she? Well, it, it's funny you arrive at exactly that, because uh, I, uh, you know, well, I've worked 28 years in the theater and movies and so on, and she was, it's very easy to talk nicely about people who are dead right you know and uh but i don't mean it lightly i mean it when she was living she was really the most marvelous person i have ever encountered you played a scene with her and you met her eyes and what came back you met again and it took everything up a ladder you know what i mean it raised every scene to, to a real height Marvelous. Montgomery Cliff discussing his movie Freud and discussing working with Marilyn Monroe and how she elevated everything she did when they worked together from the February 4th, 1963 edition of the Merv Griffin program that originally aired on NBC. Daytime audio courtesy Phil Grice, ATVAudio.com. We mentioned earlier in one of our previous segments the backstory behind Cliff's appearance on the Merv Griffin show and how even though Cliff was not in any condition to perform when they found him and when they brought him to the studio, Merv's compassion, above all, got Cliff to that performance. Right, Steve? Yeah, they were friends. It's important to, to point out that, you know, they knew each other from the 50s, you know, going back to their Hollywood days. I guess it comes across when you listen to that clip how, how Merv, his, his approach to the interview was, 
he actually wasn't interviewing him. He was actually talking to him the way you would talk to somebody yeah. in your living room. He was more conversational, more than uh, you know a, a formal, uh, a conventional interview. The other thing that's that's worth noting is that Marilyn Monroe was a hot topic at that time because she uh, was recently deceased. She mm-hmm. had only died six months before that interview took place. So Marilyn Monroe was still a, a much discussed topic uh, in the early uh, months of, uh, of 1963. So, so you know, Clift was able to bring insight uh, on that subject to the panel. And the fact that he got Cliff to do the show to begin with, again, that's that was another example of how Merv can get... Merv was able to get certain guests that nobody else could get. Oh, absolutely. Gene Arthur, later in the Metro Media era in the 70s, Gene Arthur was terrified at the prospect of, of doing a talk show. And yet, uh, Don Payne, his uh, talent coordinator, associate producer, was able to uh, uh, get her to agree to appear, and she was terrified. But she came out, and they had guests that would make her comfortable. They, they booked um, Frank Capra, her director, and Richard Arlen, and it turned out to be one of the best uh, shows during the Metro Media period of, of, of the Merv Griffin show. But now there were lots of other people who, who, you know, who typically didn't do talk shows that he was able to bring an appearance out of them, and that's uh, all in the book. The book being The Merv Griffin Show, The Inside Story, by our guest Steve Randisi. The Merv Griffin Show, The Inside Story, available through Amazon.com, BearManorMedia.com, wherever books are sold online. Phil, is there anything about the Clift clip that you would like to add? As far as I know, um, Manny Clift appeared on four talk shows, uh, four of which I recorded. Uh, he initially appeared, um, we discussed that he was on the High Gardener show, that was a month before, it aired a month before in January. He appeared on a, uh, here's Hollywood, in 1962, in Germany, and that's when Jack Linklater did a great interview with them, but a lot of it had to do with Judgment at Nuremberg, and even though Jack was, I think, a great interviewer also, and he talked about a lot of uh, Montgomery Cliff's personal life, it does not come to the same technique that Mel Griffin was able to use in order to bring out the personal part of um, Montgomery Cliff. And as Steve had mentioned, you know, they were friends, and, and this was this was long in coming because I think Mel Griffin wanted to have him as a guest forever, and the timing was right. And for whatever reason, uh, within a period of two years, Montgomery Cliff also went on a David Sussman program, but it was more of a, a, a group panel because you had Colleen Dewhurst and Robert Ryan, George C. Scott and Sybil Burton. So it wasn't about Montgomery Cliff. He was just an add-on. And, and, and lastly, um, you know, the Mel Griffin show. I could be wrong. There could have been another time when he went on a local show, but I believe that was the only four programs where he... Uh, committed to do an interview, and the only time where there was an audience, which Steve had mentioned, which is significant. Mel Griffin had a way of really making a guest, even if he didn't know the guest, feel very relaxed. And um, it, it's very, very evident here, and um, I'm grateful to have recorded this. Uh, just is one well, of personal comments about Marilyn Monroe is priceless. You know, and, he, and they had just done the mischief 
you know, a few years before 1960. I don't recall he talking about Monroe even with Gardner. Do you remember that, Steve? No, unfortunately I don't. There's another connection between uh, Montgomery Cliff and Merv Griffin. Wasn't, wasn't Monty in uh, I Confess? Wasn't that was one of the... Yeah, that was a fantastic uh, Hitchcock film. And Merv did, a, Merv did some voiceover work for that in that film. He, he right. doesn't appear in the picture, right. but uh, he, he did some voiceover work for the studio. William Wyler was, a, was another great director who uh, never did talk show appearances, and yet Merv was able to... Uh, do a salute to him in 73, and he had Betty Davis and Walter Pidgeon and um, Olivia de Havilland and some of that. And another wonderful interview he did, and I shared that with you, I believe, is when he went to Ireland and uh, he did a beautiful interview with uh, John Huston. Yes, yes. Yeah, John Huston was another great director that, uh, that he had. And he did a couple of good interviews with Hitchcock, too, during the, uh, the latter phase of uh, uh, the Metro Media. Phil Grace is with us, along with Steve Randisi, for the third and final edition of our tribute to the short-lived but critically acclaimed daytime talk show that Murph Griffin hosted for NBC in the early 1960s. Phil Grace, of course, founder and owner of Archival Television Audio, ATVAudio.com. Steve Randisi, author of the Merv Griffin Show, The Inside Story. Merv also did several interviews with Jack Benny, on oh god yeah going all the way back to uh westinghouse yeah yeah not only going back to westinghouse uh, benny made at least one appearance on the nbc daytime show yes march 3rd 1963 merv jokes with jack benny about his famous line of why benny always gave his age it's the age 39 and, and benny gave a very elucidating answer we'll listen to that right now jack you know we've never known why you picked the age of 39 why not? Why that number? Well, let me start out by saying that I was 36 for a few years. <laughs> and 37 and 38. Then when I hit 39, I stuck to it because 39 is a funny number. 40 is not funny. Now, there's a definite reason for that which you would know about. To kids and to people 40, you are already and old, you know. At 39, you're still in your 30s. And I remember once when I was going to do a show where I was going to have a 40th birthday. And it stopped me the first time I was going to do it because there was a letter sent to me from Boston with the most beautiful written editorial you've ever read, not meaning to be funny, begging me not to become 40. <laughs> because they said there's something about 39, because we, they said, we know you're right age. And 39, everybody, even when they get older, now, everybody says now, well, I'm 39, I'm Jack Benny's age, and I don't have to retire. This is even when they're 65 or 70. And he says, psychologically, there's something to sticking to 39 that's good for everybody. You never read such a beautiful article. I nearly cried. <laughs> so I wouldn't let the boys do it. Well, suppose you're not 39 yet. Well, then you go on until you're 39. Oh, I'm 39 yet. <laughs> Jack Benny, 
on why 39 is a funny number and why he always gave his age as 39 from the March 3rd, 1963 edition, the Merv Griffin Daytime Show uh, that originally aired on NBC October 1st, 62, March 29, 63, audio courtesy Phil Grice, ATVAudio.com. Who wants to jump in? I don't know if he ever had that length of time to answer the question that everybody was always inquisitive about. Uh, why do you uh, always state that you're 39? That was another moment that I treasure. And I'm grateful to Merv Griffin for bringing that kind of response from him. Um, and you, you just did not get that kind of um, opportunity to really milk a question where the guest, in this case, you know, the wonderful Jack Benny would take over and, uh, and create a, a very wonderful response as he did. You know, it was a much more relaxed atmosphere on these shows. Very relaxed. It, it is like you being know. in your own, uh, someone's home, and you're, you're a guest. You know, today everything is so contrived and everything is so planned and they micromanage everything down to the last second. There's an excellent Merv Griffin show in the DVD set with Jack Benny that's later. It's from 1973, and it's a, it's a tribute to Jack Benny's movie career. And it, during the course of the, of the interview, Merv asks him uh, a, a somewhat silly question. He asks him, do you remember your first laugh on a stage? Which is a perfectly legitimate question, but Jack Benny didn't didn't see it that way, and he just gave him that deadpan stare, you know, that classic deadpan stare, right. and didn't say a word for like, he held it for like 60 seconds, and the audience cracked up, I mean, it was hysterically funny. It later became Merv Griffin's favorite Jack Benny clip, but that one that you just played is, is historic, because I never heard uh, an explanation as to why Jack Benny... No, that's my point, I don't think I ever heard that either. No, you know, this is a record, the Merv Griffin show, 1962 to 1986, it's a wonderful 12-disc retrospective. However, isn't it interesting that there is only one program out of the 80, I believe, four titles that is representing the NBC shows, and that's a Danny Kelly uh, clip from November 10th, 1966. It's another testimonial, if you want to use that word, uh, to how many of those NBC shows were never kept. wrote the liner notes for the DVD box set of the Merv Griffin show that was distributed by MPI Home Video. Steve is also the author of the Merv Griffin show, the Inside Edition. We will play more highlights from the 1962-63 NBC Merv Griffin show when we come back after this quick time out here on TV Confidential. Become an advertiser or underwriter of TV Confidential and let our brand help promote your brand. To find out more, Go to televisionconfidential.com slash advertise. Ed Robertson, author friend Donna Allen Figueroa, who I understand has a new book out. Yes, it's entitled Fall Again Beginnings. It's the first part of a four-part contemporary romantic series set against the background of working actors. 
something that you know a, little, a thing or two well, about. Well, you write what you know, and I have been working in the business for several years. It is not necessarily autobiographical, but it's based on... Sure, many of the experiences that the actors in my book have. Many have happened to me. Many have happened to friends of mine. It's not if you're looking for... Valley of the Dolls, it's not, it's grounded in reality. It is grounded in reality, and it's the first in a series. Yes. Called the Fall Again series. Fall Again. Which is available as a paperback as well as an ebook and in Kindle at fallagainseries.com. Hi, my name is Lily. My mom and dad used to fight about money all the time. Then one day, I heard them talking about this guy, some uncle I never knew, called Uncle Sam. Well, they say this Uncle Sam guy wanted them to pay him like a gazillion dollars. And they didn't have a gazillion dollars. So they called this company they heard on the radio called The Tax Doctor. And The Tax Doctor worked with Uncle Sam's people. I think they're called the IRS. And they're able to work it out so my mom and dad didn't have to pay Uncle Sam very much money at all. So now mom and dad are happy. And I'm happy too. Thanks, Tax Doctor. If you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS or state, call now and pay less. 800-649-0142. 800-649-0142. That's 800-649-0142. Are payday loans ruining your life? Do you want control over your money again? If you have two or more payday loan cash advances, listen closely. You may be eligible for a program payday loan companies don't want you to know about. A program that may help get aggressive and unfair payday loan companies out of your bank account and get you back on track to financial freedom. Payday loan companies may trap you into paying outrageously high interest rates, and they take way too much of your hard-earned money every week. We understand their tactics and know how to keep them off your back. We'll fight hard to help you regain control of your money. If you have two or more payday loan cash advances, call right now for a free consultation. 800-488-5880. 800-488-5880. 800-488-5880. That's 800-488-5880. Hi, this is Marilyn Michaels, and you are listening to TV Confidential. The Robertson Law, Phil Grice and Steve Randisi, as we continue our tribute to the short-lived but critically acclaimed daytime talk show that Merv Griffin hosted for NBC between October 1962 and March 29th. 1963. Steve Randisi is the author of the Merv Griffin Show, The Inside Story, which is available in the hardcover and paperback through bearmannermedia.com, amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. At last, the end is near, gentlemen. This is the final clip we're going to play, and this is appropriately enough from the final broadcast of the Merv Griffin Show that aired on NBC. And in this particular clip, Merv, I guess, breaks character, so to speak. And he acknowledges all the people behind the scenes, including who would go on to be his longtime producer, Bob Shanks. As you may have suspected, this is our final day. No tears, lots of happiness. Somebody once said, we shall return. And we shall, you'll see. Uh, 
Now, I'm not kidding myself. I've been on shows before that went off the air. But I must say that this is one show, as we all leave the studio today, everybody's associated with it, all 75 people, this is one group of people that will walk out of here with their heads in the air and not be sneaking out the back door because we're all darn proud of this show and we're going to miss it. Now, of course, there are many people to thank. And as I said, there are 75 people responsible for getting this show on the air every day. And I could never begin to list them off. It would take much too long. But they know who they are, and they know how much I appreciate it and how much I love them. This whole show is headed by a very bright and a talented young producer by the name of Bob Shanks. He runs the whole shooting mess. As of last Sunday night, I don't know whether it was really a virus or whether he got nervous the last week, but he came down with 105 temperature, and he limped into the studio here today, and he has a few people holding him up, but I thank him for coming down. We're um, all proud of him. And before I stop all this, let me thank the 77,000 people who wrote letters protesting the cancellation of the show. The 1,200 who sent telegrams, I could never begin to tell you the telephone calls that have come in. The newspaper writers across America who also have protested and written such glowing things. We thank you all. Um, one light note. I'm not out of work. I have here a telegram of an offer which I'm going to read to you. It's from the White House. <laughs> I'm serious. Listen to this. The White House Correspondents Association and White House News Photographers Association are entertaining President Kennedy, leaders of government, diplomatic corps, and the news world at their annual traditional dinner May 24th here at the Sheraton Park Hotel. The Entertainment Committee would consider it great honor if you would serve as master of ceremonies for the show following dinner. Since this is entirely a non-profit affair, the pay is stinky. <laughs> right here, but we guarantee a 100% rating. Merv Griffin, acknowledging the hard work of all the people behind the scenes of the daytime show that he hosted from October 1st, 62 through March 29th, 1963 from the final broadcast of the NBC daytime show, audio courtesy Phil Grice, ATVAudio.com. Steve Rendisi also with us. Steve is the author of The Merv Griffin Show, The Inside Story. And I don't think we talked about the relationship between Merv and Bob Shanks per se and how that stemmed from the Jack Parr Tonight Show. And oh, now in, yeah. many, in many respects, we have Bob Shanks to thank for... Absolutely, yeah. yeah. He was, when, when Merv first filled in for Parr, in January of 1962, this was the big moment that he had been waiting for. And he, it finally came, and he went out and he did the monologue. He got through it, and that's the hardest part of the show to do. And then he just, uh, he lost it, and he, he was leaving. And he passed Bob Shanks, and he said, I can't do this. I'm leaving. I'm going home. And he said, Bob said, Merv, where are you going? He said, I can get somebody else. I, I, just, I just can't do this. And Bob was the one who took him by the hand and literally pushed him back on the stage and said, I'm going to stand by the camera and forget all these other people that are here. Play to me and, you know, make, 
make believe that I'm the only person in the studio. And he got through it, and he did very well. He got excellent reviews. And so he never forgot that uh, helping hand that Bob Shanks had extended to him during that harrowing experience, you know, of trying to fill uh, the shoes of Jack Parr. So naturally, when Merv got his own show in 1962, he wanted Bob to be his producer, and he did. And uh, he remained his producer until the first year at CBS, and then he left in 70. But uh, Bob later went on to um, spearhead uh, ABC's late night uh, television division. He also created uh, for ABC, he created and developed Good Morning America and 2020. So I wanted to get that in. And I'm happy to say that he survived that 105 fever <laughs> that Bert <laughs> talked about. And he's, he's, he's alive and well, and I, I speak to him frequently. He's one of my favorite uh, people. And this book would not have happened uh, if it hadn't been for Bob Shanks. He's a, he's a fascinating uh, gentleman. Yeah, Bob Shanks is one of the many people that Steve talked to for the Merv Griffin Show, The Inside Story, which is available through BearManorMedia.com, Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. Phil? Well, we've, we've done shows uh, about other talk show hosts, Les Crane, and we did um, Jack Barr, we did Johnny Carson, and uh, now Merv Griffin. I have a quote here from uh, producer um, David Sutstein, and they were friends. And I'm quoting Sustine, who states that um, you, and he's talking about Mo, you genuinely care about people. You are not thinking of the next joke, and you haven't got a prepared stick. And I think that sums up, uh, in a nutshell, uh, why Mo Griffin kind of um, had more outstanding personality and ability to get as much out of a guest as possible and to make a guest feel as relaxed as possible. And only when you're relaxed, you well know it, do you perform at your best. I think he's underrated as a singer, too. People forget that uh, when people think in terms of Merv Griffin being a singer, they go, they say to me, Merv Griffin, are you kidding? And I, I play his records all the time. I think he's a great singer. I mean, he's not in the league of uh, Frank Sinatra or somebody like that. But he's, uh, he's, he's pretty good. Well, didn't he peak with Coconuts in 1950? Well, that, I, that's not one of my favorite recordings. I, I like his rendition of As Time Goes By, which he sang on the show. Mm-hmm. And I love when he sings You Make Me Feel So Young. And he had a number of other hits besides Coconuts. He had Eternally was a big hit for him, uh, Dream Street, Wilhelmina, and a number of others. He recorded for like several different labels. I know he was with uh, Decca, and he was with... Um, RCA, he started out with RCA, and he, he wound up with Carlton Records and then MGM. He recorded on a number of, of labels, but I have a whole stack of records. <laughs> Some of them are so old, they're on the 78s, you know, from uh, from years ago. Also, and, as an actor, I was being a little facetious before about mentioning his, uh, you know, inability to be a good actor, but it was one film that I felt uh, he was given thoughts out of, and I think he did a very admirable job, and that is So This Is Love, the 1953. Oh, yeah, that was a big And you would have thought maybe from that point on, that would have been the impetus to encourage not only uh, artists, but also Merv to uh, pursue an acting career. Well, there was this sense that he was going to be the next Bing Crosby, because he was this young Irish Catholic boy with a great voice, you know, a young, good-looking guy, and he was going to be a movie star. But he didn't like... Uh, the best part of him, of being an actor, was going to the studio and driving 
through the gate, and the man, uh, the, you know, the studio guard would say, good morning, Mr. Griffin, as he would drive his convertible into the lot. That was a high point of the day for him. He didn't like sitting around waiting, you know, take after take, and then doing parts that were you know, little, little nothing parts, and then uh, he, he found it all uh, incredibly boring. And it's not to believe that he's gone for 11 years. You know, it's 11 years. Oh, I know, yeah. And a half years that the time really has gone by. Uh, it's also uh, a good number of years since Carson has gone, too. I mean, all the... Uh, it's funny, I think, I think Mike Douglas, uh, Johnny Carson, and Merv Griffin, they were all born in 1925, so that was a good year for talk show hosts to be born. <laughs> <laughs> final question. I'll let Phil answer it first, and then Steve. That way Steve gets the final word. What to you is the legacy of the Merv Griffin Show? Well, it's been done. It was on a um, very long time, and uh, there were probably more hours with Merv Griffin uh, on the air than Johnny Carson, even though Johnny Carson uh, reached 30 uh, years. Um, and uh, the fact that um, he, um, he did a variety of different types of shows. Carson did not go on location to do those types of interviews uh, normally. And um, he was able to do more theme shows, Merv Griffin, than anyone. He was open. He was open to take chances. He allowed uh, for his guests to be super relaxed. And uh, I think as a viewer, I know my dad loved Merv Griffin. My dad didn't watch that much television, but I know he used to watch Merv Griffin, 8.30 here in New York, WNEW. He became um, a family member, uh, and he had that charm about him. It transcended through the screen, and uh, he will be remembered as one of the Parson on uh, talk show hosts. Steve? I think the legacy of the Merv Griffin Show is the fact that he captured the essence of the times. If you want to know what happened during the 60s, you could watch select episodes of the Merv Griffin Show and see and hear for yourself what Bobby Kennedy had to say, or what Martin Luther King had to say, or what was happening on the college campuses. It's reflective of the times, and in a way, this preserves uh, our, our culture, our politics, everything that we are uh, as Americans. And also, the other uh, great legacy is the wonderful roster of talent that he introduced. We named some of them earlier. You know, when I mentioned to people that Richard Pryor and Whitney Houston and Jerry Seinfeld and all these great people made their debuts with Merv, a lot of them are surprised because they tend to think of uh, Johnny Carson as having introduced that great talent uh, to the American public. But also it's important to remember that a lot of great performers also made their final farewells, their final appearances with Merv, and those would include Judy Garland, another icon, uh, Groucho Marx, Tody Fields, and several others. So all of this combined, just a potpourri of, of great entertainment and social commentary, all embodied in these tapes, which, uh, thank God, have been preserved, and we could, we could show them to future generations. But I know I show them to, to young people, young friends of mine, who maybe have never seen an interview with Martin Luther King or an interview with Nixon or, or Bobby Kennedy. And uh, I, think, I think that's the legacy of the Merv Griffin Show, is that he captured the times and, and did it well. Steve Randisi is the author of the Merv Griffin Show, The Inside Story, a complete history of the Merv Griffin Show on television from its premiere on NBC in 1962 through its various incarnations on Metromedia, on Westinghouse, CBS Late Night, 
and Metro Media. The Merv Griffin Show, The Inside Story, is available in hardcover and in paperback through Bear Manor media.com you can also find it at amazon.com where books are sold online steve thank you again for joining us oh thank you for having me phil grice is the founder and owner of archival television audio the largest vintage tv soundtrack archive in the world atvaudio.com phil always a pleasure look forward to your next visit uh always been a pleasure uh, to um, respect this with you, Ed, and I thank you. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash TV Confidential or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415 415- 886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.